that the abuses and excesses of the violent, reactionary, and disruptive minority has to be crushed so that the majority interests can be gained. I must be clear here, not confused. I'm a socialist. There's a lot of America that belongs to me yet. You understand? You stick a knife in my back nine inches and cut out six inches. There's no progress. We said we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we're going to fight it socialism. We're revolutionaries. We fight for principles, and there is no compromise. Anytime you make an analysis of an oppressed people in any aspect of their life, and you leave out the enemy, you will never come to a correct analysis. What you West, what you Europeans did, you just took it. We got to catch up with you. The American capitalist system does not lie some of the time. It lies all of the time. I actually think it's much more about the how and the way that we are coming together and how we are how we interpret that what. Good morning. Sunday morning. Nobody I know is running for office talks about defunding the police. These aren't leaders. These are puppets and clowns. On the West Coast, where 200 inches of rain falls every year, there is a drought. And where is the highest suicides and violence and murder of women? In those forest areas. Sailors people know the story of the double-headed serpent. We know the story of the split lines. We know that if you're disconnected from the earth, you will be disconnected from each other. You will dis- be disconnected from creation, and then you'll violate creation. Quand on a une arbre qui peut cracher le feu et la mort, et que l'on peut recevoir des ordres se mettant au garde-à-vous devant un drapeau, sans savoir à qui profite cet ordre. À qui profite ce fusil Eh bien, on devient un criminel à puissance qui n'attend que le déclic pour semer la terreur autour de soi. How far would you go with violence to bring about the revolution? To liberate our country, to have dignity, to have respect, to have our mere human rights is something as essential as life itself. All the way. All the way. What's that, what's that mean? Uh, whatever necessary. <laughs> And those who demand instant perfection, the day after the revolution, they get up and say, are there civil liberties for the fascists? The revolution that feeds the children gets my support. And I think that the United States is so good at threat inflation and fear-mongering but, you know, when the Israelis pick up guns or the Poles or the Irish or any white man in the world, the entire white world is falls. When a black man says exactly the same thing, he is judged a criminal and treated like one. It's no surprise that the pure socialists support every revolution except the ones that succeed. Capitalism is a very vicious system, but what it does is it, it embroideries its viciousness with all sorts of elusive terms. As a matter of fact, we could say under capitalism that the fruits 
of the labor of the toiling masses are enjoyed by those who do not labor. The people who feel it the most are the poor and working people. The Philippines are rich. Brazil is rich. Mexico is rich. Chile is rich. Only the people are poor. Yes. And it will never be stopped until we stop it ourselves. Hello, Karen. How are you? Hey, Q. How are you? How are you feeling? Sorry, I, I missed what you just said just now. Sorry about that. Okay. Can you can you hear me? Can you need? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you now. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I was just asking you how you're doing with everything going on. <laughs> I'm feeling quite a bit, quite a bit better. Um, been stretching and um, taking my painkillers. Had an injection earlier this week, which really helped alleviate things. So I'm doing a lot better. Um, but yeah. Uh, first of all, how do I sound? Sound is great. Sound is great. Okay. Just want to make sure that I'm not like, because uh, sometimes like I, I, I've gone from like breaking up to being too quiet. I'm, I've got like the Michael Parenti syndrome, just in, for, in a forever struggle against my audio equipment. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. Um, so, yeah, it's been, I would say, a pretty somber um, nearly 48 hours. Um, since the, uh, the killing of, uh, Al Jazeera journalist, uh, Shireen Abu Akhle. And, um, you, I think you were in the room last night. Um, we had a, uh, a Twitter space where we talked about the interconnectedness of the, uh, the black struggle and the Palestinian struggle. And I think we had a, a fairly good conversation. I mean, obviously there were some, con- there were some contentious, <clears throat> excuse me, contentious matters. Um, some people, had a hard time understanding how it is that the struggles are interconnected, which was came as a bit of a surprise to me because I've for a very long time, I mean, since my teens have always understood those struggles to be connected, but I suppose that not everybody has the same kinds of life experiences or grows up around the same kinds of people, but it was, um, it was, it was uh, tough um, to hear uh, many people who were um, in media uh, many people of Palestinian background uh, just talk about how much Shireen meant to them. And uh, I, I guess what I did not see reflected was that level of um, sorrow and grief reflected and general, like generally reflected in mainstream news media. I mean, I hate to say this, but if, if let's say, <clears throat> let's say um, the key of, independent journalist, Ilya Ponomarenko. Let's see that. Let's say that he was shot and killed, um, or the course of the conflict, the amount, like the outpouring of grief would be, it would like, it would just be wall to wall. Like you, you would be hard pressed to find any publication or any journalist that didn't talk about how brave he is. Um, that would talk about like, you know, the, the, the importance of his work, Standing up to Putin, this, that, and the thing. I, I can just imagine how much wailing and gnashing of teeth and rending the garments there would be. But where it came to, and you know, when other journalists have died in the course of reporting the uh, the Russian war in Ukraine, I mean, it was pretty cut and dried. You know, it was the Russians who did this. It was it was Putin who did this. It, it's his responsibility. He has to pay. And where it comes to Sri Nabuakle, it's. I was seeing a level of prevarication in the way that news agencies are writing about this. Everything from she died in 
and armed struggle uh, died in a clash between the Israeli Defense Forces and uh, Palestinian militia. That uh, she she died amidst a conflict. Um, she was uh, struck and killed during a raid. And my this one that was actually so bad that I had to laugh. Um, that she died after being hit in the head by a bullet. As if, yeah, as I if. saw. I was going to mention that. Like, yes, she died by being hit inside of her head with a bullet. Yeah, you know like, that one. That one was just absurd to me. Like I, I was I saying yesterday, was I was like, like New York Times or something. Like it was some. No, that was Forbes. It was oh, Forbes right? Forbes. And I was like, hitting the head, like, I'm sorry, but bullets just. That's what happens now. You could walk outdoors and just be hit by a bullet. That that's a common occurrence. Yeah, they're just bullets are just falling it's, out of the sky. Mostly, mostly, yeah, I was going to say mostly cloudy with 60% chance of bullet fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell was that? And the thing is, like, I don't think that they understand how embarrassing that is as a journalist and how ashamed it makes me feel. Like, it doesn't got nothing to do with me whatsoever because I would never write anything like that. But people view the journalism industry generally as a as an industry. And some of our actions are going to reflect on all of us. And if that's the way that journalists treat their own, imagine how they talk about other people behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, so it was just after after three months of some of the most insane and bloodthirsty warm on green that I I mean, I'm and I'm not even considering the Iraq war and Operation Desert Storm in this mix. After some of the most insane warmongering that I've ever seen in my fucking life when it comes to Palestinian people being, uh, uh, I mean, for the entire month of April, like for the month of Ramadan, it was just, it, it was just one thing after another, after another, 23 Palestinians were killed, um, in the month of April. So almost one per day, yeah. you know, yeah, there was like one, they, they specifically choose Ramadan for that every single year on Ramadan they, and they do it on purpose. You know, they ramp up, uh, the aggression. They'll, uh, start cracking down on militants. Um, but then they will, um, take any opportunity to brutalize people that just happen to be outdoors. Um, one lady was shot and killed because as she was, apparently as she was approaching a checkpoint, she was behaving strangely, you know, and, and ended up shot and killed as a result. And then, you know, uh, many of us saw the invasion of the Al-Aqsa mosque, which like to, to go into people's places of worship and to go onto what is considered holy ground and have people like zip tied face down on the floor and, News media says, well, you know, it was, uh, it was a clash. The clashes erupted as if like, you know, like IDF soldiers just materialized out of thin fucking air. You know, they, they just like, they, they, they fucking spawn like an RPG. You know, they, they just, they show up and Palestinian people who are in the mosque just happen to spawn as well. And then they just get to fighting. That's what happens. You know, there's there's no reason for them to be in the mosque whatsoever. Like the Palestinian people are in the mosque because they spawn there, and then IDF spawns there, and then all of a sudden you have a fight. It's like uh, I don't know, like having um, two hostile states too close to each other in Civilization Five or some shit. Did you see the BBC guy? He was like, he he said something like, "Oh, uh, Naftali Bennett said it was probably the Palestinians who shot her," and then he coughed. He coughed. He 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 finished that line, and then he went like. <coughs> Like it was such I a did bad not see that. What? Obvious Yo, talk. link me to that shit. That's wild. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. I don't know what. He, I don't know if he was coughing because he of his guilty conscience or if he meant to just be like, "What the 
fuck am I saying? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, it's really messed up. No, but this, I mean, it's embarrassing as an institution to see shit like this, right? And this was after, like, you remember what I went through um, back in, like, uh, late February, early March with trying to get my colleagues, like my, my colleagues in news, to actually take seriously that there were um, African students trapped in eastern Ukraine. Like, I don't know if I, I told you about everything that I went through to try and, like, get anybody to report it. But, like, I, I, I had video calls with students and made them show me their ID and pick up their computers so that they could like show me their surroundings. Uh, and I, I pre-interviewed four people and then I sent these pre-interviews to news agencies and producers were still like, eh, I don't really know. Could be Russian misinformation. And it's just like, what do you think that that does to people when they, you know, they, they show their face after they didn't really want to show their face. I didn't coerce them or anything, but they just said, like, hey, you know, I really don't want to do this, but under the circumstances. So they show their face, they show their ID to me, um, and their surroundings. Like, they're trusting me with this information. And I have to come back to them and say, yeah, sorry, they're just not convinced that you're actually telling the truth. Like, you understand what that does, not only to my credibility, but what it does to the credibility of these. It, it trains people don't trust journalists and you wonder how it is that like people talk about some of the um the uh the greatest dangers that we face right now are not just material dangers i.e like dangers that we face out in the real world but also the dangers of being um led down the path of misinformation and what all like what exactly do you think it does to people when there are like there are factual accounts of being caught behind a war zone and you're just a medical student uh, and you're trying to get out as soon as possible. You, you and your friends are being reduced to having to melt snow that you scraped off a bench or a sill somewhere and melt it and boil it to have drinking water because all the drinking water is out and you have no money anyway because all the ATMs are empty. Like what, what does it do to the practice of journalism to explain that to somebody? And then they say, mm, I don't know if I believe you. Uh, and not because your account sounds way too preposterous to be true it, it, you would expect that in a war zone but because it doesn't comport with the narrative that you want to portray to your audience that they are supporting uh you're, they're supporting the last bastion of democracy against the evil russian empire you know shit, shit like that like really kills our credibility and when you see a journalist who was shot in, in the face and killed and all of the bystanders nearby not only said that there were no Palestinian militants nearby, but also that the that she was shot by a sniper. And it was very likely done on purpose because when she turned her head and her head was exposed, like her face was exposed, um, that's when that's when she was shot. When you discount all of that, you discount all of the eyewitness accounts from other journalists. What does that do for the average reader to think they don't even believe when other journalists say things? Why would I believe anything? Eh, you know what? I'm just going to take like I'm going to you know look for alternatives because obviously they have problems with inconvenient truths, and then they wonder how it is that we end up down the road of misinformation. <sighs> Anyhow, I um, it, it definitely makes me lose trust. I I I tell people when you talk to a journalist, make sure you're making your own recording. Because- I have had this happen where 
I talked to somebody I know is what they actually wrote was a complete uh, distortion of everything. It's unfortunate, but I mean, and then you have cases like this where, mm-hmm. where's, you know, if, if, yeah, like if they, if journalists are reporting or not reporting on her blatant, cold-blooded, you know, in broad daylight murder by a state, like a state just mass, like shoots a woman with wearing a press jacket in the face and it's all captured on video and still there's no real outrage by anybody other than the people who are Palestinian and their supporters. Um, there's no outrage by, you know, any, I mean, oh yeah, I think uh, Biden said something like, oh, or no, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi was like, uh, oh, we are concerned because you know, they're very concerned. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, if if that's the extent of it and all the journalists are like, what hope is there for any, you know, like what is yeah. journalism? Well, um, I did see that uh, somebody had uh, come up and uh, eventually dropped off. So I am sorry about that, that we didn't get to you in time. But I do want to make sure that uh, Sean has the opportunity to comment. Um, you can go ahead, Sean. Um, hey, this is. This is just par for the course as far as Israeli-Palestine relations, I guess, if you want to call them, goes. Unfortunately, and it it doesn't get uh, usually the spotlight that it does now. Um, I think as the left, we really need to get serious about, uh, about things. Way too many of us are still supporting this dog shit party. Um, we need to. We need to. Um, we need to unregister from the Democratic Party because, really, like it's as an anti-war movement specifically. Like we need to get on social media. People can do this on their phone in two minutes and post a little hashtag about it and pictures. I did it today. I'm trying to get it going. Like, if we can get enough people who are serious about the anti-war movement on the left who are technically registered as Democrats, but like me, I, I haven't really seen myself as a Democrat for since they cheated Bernie out of the election the first time and then argued in open court that they were legally allowed to cheat Bernie out of the uh, nomination. A lot of people forget about that. But there was a fraud lawsuit in Florida that they said that they can that they can rig the election for whoever they want to because they're a private organization. Um, but, I mean, we 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 gave these people our money. We gave these people our time. We voted for them. And then what do we get? I mean, we, we had the largest uh, protests in the history of the country for Black Lives Matter. They give the cops more funding. Uh, we, we elected these so-called progressives, and they all unanimously, unanimously, voted to give Nazis and defense contractors $40 billion in the midst of the worst 
economic crisis in a hundred years. If we're not going to withdraw our support from this party now, when they're at their most vulnerable, when we get like, and we keep saying they're at their most vulnerable, and and they just keep like, we we have to do something. We have to we we have to use leverage as the left. We can't be scared of the Republicans anymore because now the Republicans are the ones who are voting against the war and the Democrats are the ones who are advocating literally for nuclear war. I mean, this is insane. We have to withdraw our support from these people. They're out of their fucking mind. Right, yeah, man. Well, thank you. Um, uh, go ahead, Q. Yeah, thank you very much for that. I appreciate the uh, the comment. Um, Forty billion dollars, <clears throat> which, by the way, the the president's suggestion, and we talked about this on the unredacted show today. The 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 president um, sent a proposal for thirty three billion dollars, and Congress tacked on an extra seven billion. And the amount of times that people have been told that student loans can't be forgiven, that uh, there's no more stimulus check coming. That universal health care is off the table. Universal basic income, you're having a fucking laugh. Although I'm not in agreement with universal basic income, I don't necessarily see it as, as a solution. The fact of the matter is, anything that could actually help people domestically, off the table. But the moment you apply a foreign policy dimension to it, and that America is protecting its strategic interests overseas, all of a sudden you have unanim- you have unanimity. You have unanimous consent to just spend whatever amount of money that you want. And it's like uh, Nick S. has said, the U.S. is the U.S. is no longer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and sorry, Sean, you're, you're, you're breaking up like you're, 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 you're crazy breaking up over there. I want to just make sure you can check your Wi-Fi connection. But um, yeah, like the, the U.S. is no longer a functioning democracy. It's basically just it, it's it's a. A, a global level defense contractor, right? It's an arms dealer. No, it, it doesn't have the capacity to deliver to its people the necessities of life. The fact that baby formula is going extinct practically, uh, while um, women's abortion rights were just were are, are about to be nixed. We'll find out when the court releases this decision next month. But for all intents and purposes, we already know what it is. So that's that's gone. Um, women do not have maternity leave in the United States at all. There's just no federally mandated maternity leave. They're in various states. They're looking at banning contraceptives, not just Plan B, but birth control and condoms. Depo Provera. They're they're looking at banning these things. So it's like I don't understand what it is that anybody in America thinks that they're supposed to be at this point, except for just a cog in a machine that exports war. But I, I don't understand what it is that the, the U S government is intended to produce anymore, except uh, one gigantic workforce that exists for the purpose of exporting war. And so I'm like, I would normally um, wait for your comment, but uh, it is a little bit difficult to hear you. So if you want to like hop back up, um, feel free to do so. Um, if you've, if you're able to, manage the audio issue so what i'll do is i will um we'll take the the 
next comment from Sheila. And then Sean, if you're able to pop back up, just like, you know, just uh, check out your, your Wi-Fi connection, make sure that it's strong and then you can come right back. Hi, Sheila. Well, I think that, um, Oh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that, uh, yeah, the, the connection, I mean, like, was it like Marjorie Taylor Greene who actually made a very good point about exactly that, about the baby formula. And like, I'm like, why is it that Marjorie Taylor Greene has to make this point and nobody like AOC is making this point, you know? Like, I, I am really sick and tired of, I'm sorry, I know maybe it's like it's not a cool thing to say or whatever, but this whole like left-right bullshit in the U.S. Mm. is absolutely meaningless. What does it actually mean anymore? I mean, if the so-called left is for more war, more weapons, more nuclear war, more war with Russia, with China, more sanctions on everybody, uh, more militarization, more funding for NATO, less funding for healthcare, less funding for infrastructure domestically, you know, less funding for um, friggin' education, basic needs of people. How is that the left? What is left about it? You know, like, I'm sorry, that is not... Uh, that I'm, I, I don't understand why we are supposed to be oh so defending the so-called left and hating on the so-called right anymore. These words don't mean anything to me. They're fucking remnants of the mm. French Revolution, the post-French Revolution era, which was, you know, a bourgeois revolution itself. And I think we need to let go of that and we need to just be like, are you for the people or are you for the elites? That's really it. Here, here. Public service. Stat. I mean, real public service, not... Yeah, the real thing. You know, we're going to take your money and tell you later. So what's up, Sheila? Yeah, we're here. I mean, I was totally inspired by Kiri, and I was... I I (laughs) totally was inspired by what she was saying. Um, You know, because this is so tiresome. I I am so tired of walking in the room with real concerns and being told what a troglodyte I am. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> you know, for wanting to know, you know, this is, this is basic, basic 101. You know, we're turning into a third world regime if we can't acknowledge that bo- baby formula is necessary. And I'm sorry I didn't say anything earlier, but there's just so much pressure, like, on Glenn's shows that, you know, it's hard for me to talk sometimes. But what I really wanted to say to you, and, and probably to Glenn as well, is uh, that there is a process within the State Department between the Federal Defense Department. They go into a room and they invoke this this regulation, this NPSM 13 thing. And then they get to spend a shit ton of money and then they send the bill to Congress and then they vote on it and whatever they spent, they agree to pay. And I think that that is really backwards they do it because war. So what we've done is we've bypassed um, a voice vote of consent for spending and consent of the people for any war matters. And I didn't know this until this week because we spent a lot of money on Musk's, you know, Starlink. Starlink shot 53 satellites, 53 plus satellites into space. And it's super expensive to do that. And Yes, arms, but that's considered an arm in cyber command, especially by the Russians, especially by the Chinese, because they threatened Elon Musk 
um, Roscosmos lead threatened Elon Musk to, to, you know, maybe take him off the planet. And, you know, people like, ha, 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 how can the NASA lead, you know, threaten such a thing? Well, maybe he was under immense pressure to weaponize the ISS. How the hell did the, the International Space Station get weaponized? Well, by, you know, because they don't have, they, they feel so threatened. They're in this existential place that, you know, they want to take a god hand and, and throw it down on, onto all NATO countries. They, they just want to drop it out of the sky onto NATO countries and say, see, I got back at you. And I'm thinking that's desperation. That is real desperation. If, if that is, if Roscosmos and the ISS, which was this herald of international space diplomacy, it's death of diplomacy in space, and n- no one noticed, no one said anything. I don't, I don't think. I haven't heard any editorials about it. I didn't see any editorials about it. But then we spent all this money in, in retrofit. I think we could fix this in Congress if, if we just said something. If we just said, listen, this regulation is, is unconstitutional. Put it to some kind of test you know, flame their ass over it, something, you know, we, can, we need to do something that says, okay, we have a, a regulation that violates the, the, the trust and the consent of the people. Some way, we need to just find a way to say that because it's a hack so that the DOD always gets whatever they want unconditionally without a voice vote and, and without due process from the exposure to the people, the, spl- the, the plans of war exposed to the people. Go ahead. I don't have anything else come out. <laughs> Thank you, Sheila. <laughs> um, the one of the most heartbreaking things, um, as somebody that was like one of those kids that was like super into space, was um, one that um, the U.S. Uh, ceased launching um, spaceships uh, after the. Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm about to say the Challenger disaster, and it's totally not. It was Discovery, but anyway, uh, they they essentially discontinued um, the shuttle program, and instead handed billions over to probably the world's most successful swindler, in my opinion, uh, to just blow up a bunch of rockets upon landing. Uh, so the idea that the nation itself was uh, putting money, time, resources, and a hell of a lot of brain power into being able to gaze at the stars from space uh, and to possibly explore space. That was essentially privatized. And then the second was, uh, you know, uh, th- there, w- there was for a time cooperation between the U.S., the Russians, and the Chinese um, to be in space. I thought that that was... Granted, like even though there were there were tensions between those countries, I thought that that was possibly um, a, 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 a that was possibly like a little candle that you could light uh, in hope of international cooperation. And I, I'm, I'm, so not somebody, I'm not somebody that would like sit back and think, well, you know, maybe we'll discover a threat that's going to bring the world together. I'm 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 not one of those type of uh, Harry Potter type people. My thought is, at some point the the necessity um to learn more about ourselves and about the universe that surrounds us would at least lead us to think that there are more similarities that we have than differences 
Now, there is no longer cooperation between nations on space exploration. And when Trump announced the Space Force, that was it. That was the nail in the coffin for me. I'm like, the only thing that we're going to do is find more expensive ways of fucking killing each other. We're not, we're not interested in space exploration. What we're interested in is using advanced technology from orbit to rain death on our enemies. And they do the same thing to us. What, what started out for me as I, I used to, I used to flip through books about space as a kid. And I remember um, the first time that I ever saw like, and this was way back in the 1980s when, you know, uh, uh, space telescopes were nowhere near as crystal clear as they are now. But um, I flipped a book to a double page spread of just the planet Jupiter and the sheer terror that went through my mind as a child, like not only looking at the planet, but looking at the eye, which in smaller print that the book explains what the eye itself is several times larger than earth itself. I, I felt two things like uh, I felt terror like I was going to fall through the pages and into this planet and be like squished to the size of a grain of sand, but also majesty in a way like we are, but articles in, in a sea of stars. And the idea that we would be able to someday discover the nature of this or learn more about it was one of the things that kept me engaged in school and to see what that's been turned into right now. Like as an adult, I'm like, what are my kids going to grow up with? Are they ever going to grow up with the wonder of space exploration or are they going to grow up in a world where we like space is just another um, force multiplier that we use to kill each other more efficiently? I don't know, but we got to get back on top of the head of the ship. I mean, people like citizens got to be able to at least co-administrate this government. In some way, no matter what party they pick, yeah, they have to be able to say no to major expenses with a voice vote. And, you know, there was, uh, t- to, to some credit of the ones who did vote against it, because there were contrary votes against this. And, um, you know, people want to do more in Congress. They get voted in there when they're fresh. They want to do more and they get energized when they get to do more. I don't holistically believe that all all political actors in Congress are demotivated, self-serving jerks who who were just kind of turned off from their commission. Um, you know, they, they're people who want to do something, but they're told no all day by all kinds of people. You know, it's, it's the worst sales job ever in some cases. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to get anything passed in Congress or, or any state body. The lobbying is hard. Everybody tells you no, and they tell you, and they, you know, they don't give you honest reasons. They just, they just tell you no in many different ways. And sometimes you get ignored. It sucks. It's really hard work. Um, and I don't know why I keep going trying to get people to do stuff, but I don't have any other choice. If I want any kind of like self, it is self advocacy. If I want to make sure that uh, people don't oversell lands that belong to tribes that I belong to, then I got to get in the game. If I don't say something, if I don't get in there, then I have no chance. So 
You know, there's, there's an edge of desperation. I deal with people I don't want to deal with because I have to. And I make relationships with people I would never talk to on any day. And I set myself aside and I set my ego aside and I go, I'm going to talk to this person because I need something done. And that isn't a job for a politician. That's a job for everybody. Everybody has to stop and put their childish ways aside and think focused about what they, they really need the government to do. And then they just need to, to scruff them somehow and, and make them do it. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but this space stuff is demoralizing as hell. It was yeah. definitely something that I, I mean, my father was a part of the space program at one point. I, I used to be really embarrassed about it, but now, you know, that we're talking about this, he wasn't part of this part. So, and he went to civil service before NASA went to war. I mean, it was uh, always had that war edge. It really honestly did. And then it did start in Reagan, which I'm okay with, but Reagan never did anything with it because he wasn't necessarily pro pro war because he was trying to get us to back out of war with the Soviets. And he was using it. He was using the ISS as a diplomacy tool. And I really believed in that, but we're not doing that anymore. And it sucks. So I'm yeah. going to end that there. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sheila. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was also one of those kids who had romantic notion in astronomer, astronaut. And, uh, you know, I still love sci-fi and all that. But, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I went through the whole, I went through, I still think that there, uh, there has to be, you know, I, I still think that putting my gram without you know, while your country is like desolate or whatever is not a great thing. But what's happening now is complete privatization and when so it's not even like public fund the the big the big factor. It's the privatization of space and then the militarization. And um yeah, I mean I don't know how we got onto this topic, but um just to um um come back to the issue of um uh the journalist uh, Shirina Buakle being shot. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see the um, the way that they? Uh, could you do you know? I mean, I I kind of I've been kind of zoning in and out today because I was uh, I had some dental work I had to get done. Uh, but was the uh, was the uh, Israeli military attacking people who were at her house after she died who were mourning? Uh, apparently yeah that's what i saw i didn't see a report on it i just saw it on social media i didn't see any news reports on it that uh apparently police went to her house and demanded that her family take down the palestinian flag because it was causing a disturbance like people were mourning there and they were yeah arguing with them yeah yeah this is what they i mean this is this is this is what happens like this is just like this is par for the course. Um, I've run out of like superlatives and adjectives to describe how I feel about seeing these things. And it, happen- it happens every single fucking year. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I, just, I don't have any, I don't have any adjectives, adjectives left. Yeah. It's like, how, no, like how, no. how could you, how could you be that inhuman that you think the most important thing to do at this moment is to go to the house of this grieving woman who was shot and killed by many accounts by one of your own soldiers and tell them that they have to comply with an order to take down their flag. 
they uh, hang on if you want to hang on for one second like i have i have a uh, video here um hold up i'll just pipe it in are you able to hear it's very 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 faint yeah the uh hold on audio is not that loud yeah so basically like you've got a bunch of you know police officers i mean you know the the parallels between um officers in the US and officers in Israel are striking all the way down to like the uh the fucking uh you know the the steroid induced granite jaw and the wrap around Oakley sunglasses so you got like these cops that are just like surrounded by a bunch of people and they're trying to you know get them to uh comply with an order and uh they're just being chanted at they're surrounded by people that are, are just chanting at them um the times of gaza also said that uh the um uh, the young man uh, who climbed over a wall uh, to help Shreen Abu Akhle, uh and you know she's this was really hard for me. I mean it would be hard for anybody to watch but like she's lying face down on the ground unresponsive and her colleague a uh, producer um, was hunched down on the ground right next to her and while this young man hops over this wall where where they had uh, taken shelter and were trying to be safe you know he hops over the wall he he like rushes her producer out of harm's way and then he tries to pick up shireen's body like you know y- you can tell that he's had because if you've ever like lifted a limp person like an unresponsive person uh, working in nightclubs for several years i've had to do this on an almost weekly basis it's very difficult. Doesn't matter how large or small that person is. When that person is just weight, um, and they can't like respond to, to your attempt to pick them up, it's tough. And this guy is struggling to carry Shireen away from the spot where she was shot and killed, and he's still being shot at. Like the idea that um, Palestinian militants uh, caught them in the crossfire. And would continue to shoot at this young man as he's getting her colleague out of harm's way and trying to move Shireen's body from where it fell after we sh- after she was shot in the face. Like, it's, it's just it's laughable to me. And what's also laughable is the idea that Israel is going to investigate itself to determine whether it killed a Palestinian American journalist with the eyes of the world on this state. Like the, the, if it wasn't so, if it wasn't so tragic and it wasn't so traumatic to so many people, it would be almost funny. You know what I mean? Uh, Sean, you can, you can go ahead if you are able to want to meet yourself. Yeah. I just want to make, um, a quick announcement here. If I'm breaking up again. Oh no, you're good. You're um, good. You sound a lot better. Cool. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Revolutionary Blackout, Nick Cruz, Savvy Sab, Sabrina yeah, yeah. Salvani. Yeah, yeah, Nick's my boy. Uh, Savvy Sab, I haven't talked to very much. Zoya, I talked to almost weekly. But yeah, I know, I know the crew. Well, we have an idea on, it's funny, we, we got into talking about defense contractors. We're trying to organize protests outside of defense contractors' house, and it just so happens that they all live outside of Washington, D.C. And um, it was just like a little conversation we had on this app uh, call, and and I want to turn it into something. I think we can do this. 
I think it would be a lot harder for uh, legislators to make laws against uh, protesting outside of lobbyist houses. And I'm Bruce Wayne 10 on Twitter. And I guess you guys probably already know uh, the folks that are uh, revolutionary blackout. But I really want to make this happen, and I know they do too. And uh, if anyone else wants to join that conversation, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, I guess if you guys wanted to respond to that. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I, I, I think that the Revolutionary Blackout Network might be talking to Colin. Um, I did uh, make a couple of introductions, and hopefully they're able to um, launch a show on here as well. Um, they have. And, you know, Oh, they have. Okay, I didn't even know that. That's, that's, that's where I had a conversation with them about it. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. See, this is what happens when you're flat on your back for a couple of weeks. You can't keep up with what's going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was actually supposed to be on their um, uh, their their event uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, and they had like a whole like list of uh, high profile guests and everything. And I was supposed to be there on the Sunday, but I was just I was I was too hurt. I was too late up to to be on there. So. I told them like, you know, sorry about this, but hopefully next time. But I mean, they already, they, they know that, you know, anything that, uh, if they're doing any events or, um, having any sort of like, uh, you know, uh, looking for any kind of collaborative work, they can always count on me and count on the crew. Yeah. I spoke at their event on Friday night for a little bit. Let's go to these people's houses because we all know who writes the bills. I mean, these politicians are losers. They're, uh, you know, they're just looking for book deals and tips and, uh, you know, donations and stuff like they're grifters. So we'll go, to the, we'll, we'll go to the people who really make things happen, the lobbyists, and then we'll see what happens. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I will, I'll put it this way. You know, if, um, if I say something a little bit too spicy on this program or I tweet something a little bit too spicy. I can expect a visit from the state. I can expect somebody to show up on my doorstep. But when you actually pass legislation or when you manufacture weapons and machines that rain death on people without anybody say so, just a simple, well, we believe them to be a threat, so we had to eliminate them. You can just go ahead and you get to live your life day to day unperturbed like you just get to go out and grocery shop and fucking sit down at restaurants and watch movies with your kids and not be disturbed by the like that entire concept to me is fucking wild like how that just because you have uh removed death several decision making layers away from yourself doesn't mean that you're not responsible when those deaths occur the fact that Canada buys drones from Israel whose use case was proven during Operation Protective Edge. And what those drones were doing was bombing children on beaches and blowing up buildings, killing people where they had nowhere else to go because they've been penned into what essentially is an open air prison. And you, you, after proving the use case by killing a bunch of people, you then make a shit ton of money selling the same technology to other countries that want to use it for ostensibly peaceful purposes, but primarily are going to be used for surveillance. 
and possible means of justifying future wars. And then you get to pack up your briefcase, leave the office, go home and sit down to a nice dinner with your family. I, I'm sorry. You, you, you should never be able to it. Like your dreams should be fucking tormented. You should never be able to get a good night's sleep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So I had one more thing that I wanted to share with you guys. And then I don't know if there's another caller or, or whatever, but, um, so I was, I was inspired by, uh, by video games as to an idea of how to kind of bring the energy that we have in our independent media and the people on the ground doing direct action and oh, uh, the, the game of the socialist and, pipeline at work. Sorry, go ahead, Sean, go ahead. And, and kind of link that to like a party. And to me, like it just strikes me how much time and money people spend on escaping into these worlds where they have some level of control of the outcomes in, in these fictional worlds and the communities that they build. And I think that, you know, relatively like the internet is, is new technology. And as, as the left, we have to catch up to like the intelligence apparatus and the military and in the way that we use them to communicate with people. And like a lot of people, like Chris Hedges, like I love, like oh my god, I, there's very few people in this world that I have more respect for than Chris Hedges. But he kind of sneers at it, and and he says that you know these people aren't real activists. But we need to figure out a way how to turn these people into activists. And I think if we gamified, and you know some people don't like uh, when I when I put it like that. But if we put, like, a ranking system and an incentive structure based, based on action, like, for instance, you get points and rank for organizing events, for attending events, or maybe if you don't have health or, or for whatever reason you can't, you can't leave your home, maybe you have, you know, capitalism is making you sick mentally just like it does, like, a lot of our friends and family. Um, you could get points and rank for getting traction on social media, for helping other people get traction on social media by sharing content. And maybe, you know, I don't know, your, your favorite uh, lefty commentator is Revolutionary Blackout. And, or, or you guys. And you can get, like, a 15 or 20-minute segment I think that can give people like that sense of self-actualization that they get from these video games. And it could really help engage people and get people invested and give something, make, give something for people to believe in, you know, whether it's real or not in the beginning, it will turn into something real. You know what I mean? Like, um, there's that quote in, in Game of Thrones where they say, like, power is a shadow on the wall. And, uh, you know, people feel helpless and powerless, but, but we're not. We're going up against 
against money and institutions, but all those are, I mean, we made them up. They, they don't really exist. We have all the power. We have the numbers. You know what I mean? People, people are starving. People, people are, are desperate. And uh, they'll support these things. And they'll form communities. And that could branch out into, you know, local stuff. That could get people to, to start their own YouTube channel for, say, their local area or whatever. You know, you could have, you could have, you, you could start like a, a network for Boston or whatever and that links into the party. And, you know, th this has been very effectively done on the gaming servers. And this is, this is how people, this is how people interact now. I mean, the internet is here to stay. It's a public square. This is the 21st century. And in order to combat these, all this money and these institutions, we got to start thinking outside the box. I mean, we're playing by the rules of a, a system that's designed to freeze us out, but we don't need to. Because, again, all that's made up, too. We're real. The, the material world is real. Money is fake. These, this, this power that, that they have is, is all in our collective consciousness. And we can all change that. And that's like a little sliver of hope that I, I think we have. Like, we just have to get people to realize their power. Yeah, well, that's the that's the big uh, challenge, isn't it? Getting people to realize their power, because I think a lot of people, first of all, people are fucking tired and busy from working all day and, you know, slaving away and, and getting shit wages. And we're kept that way, you know, we're kept. Uh, that's why we have shit wages. That's why we don't have benefits that, you know, we actually need that the uh, the, the sort of you know, the ruling class, the elite, the capitalist, whatever you want to call it, they keep us that way, right? That's, uh, Marx calls it the, um, 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 uh, what is it? The um, uh, army of the unemployed or whatever. Um, so it's like these, the, the, uh, the, there's a certain segment of the population that has to be kept unemployed or poor so that there will always be a Are you shortage. Talking about, talking about the lumpen proletariat, the no, no. <clears throat> surplus of labor, the surplus, or okay. surplus, uh, the, uh, um, uh, the uh, the uh, the unemployed, like the I'm forgetting the exact phrase right now because it's been a okay. long day, but yeah, uh, but basically the um, yeah, the the surplus army of the unemployed or or whatever it's called, the unlabored, uh, or the un um unemployed, I think. Anyway, basically the unemployed, the unemployment Oh, do you, do you mean the reserve there. army of labor? Yes, reserve. That's the word. Okay. Reserve right, army right. of labor. Sure, sure. So that's the idea that, uh, you know, that uh, we have to be kept, you know, there has to be a certain segment of people who have to remain unemployed. We can never have full employment or full, you know, everybody having a livable income because then how do employers and businesses get to exploit us? How do they get to pit us against each other, right? How do they get to use, um, you know, how do they get to have people scab while we want to fight for better wages or whatever? So, I mean, what I'm saying is that people are kept in, in these positions of alienation and exploitation. So they never can really get to the point where they can understand what's going on or, or even have time to like think about it or read or organize with anybody else. 
And then secondly, you know, there's so much propaganda that makes us believe that we are all in it alone. Each of us is alone, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, if, as long as we think that they got us, you know, because that's what they, that's what they want us to think. That's what these fucking, you know, ruling class elites want. They want us to think we're alone. If each of us is alone, what happens if we all decide we're not alone because we're not alone, you know? And, and that's, yeah, that's the raising of the awareness is the crucial thing. I want to bring up is, this technology, how easy is it for us to just vote on everything? I mean, what if we had, what if we had a presidential ticket on, on a party where we nominated and elected all 12 members of the cabinet plus the president and the vice president? And we had Ralph Nader touring the country talking about prosecuting Wall Street criminals. We had, you know, Chris Hedges delivering our foreign policy agenda or someone like Richard Wolf going around as Secretary of Treasury delivering our economic agenda. And we could just speak to every issue specifically. And, I mean, we, we, could vote on, on, we could vote on our agenda. And, and that's Marxism. That's giving people agency. That's giving people, you know, a much greater degree of control over their own lives. And that kind of goes back into the to, to the whole like psychology of, of structuring it like like a like a video game. But it's not as insidious, you know, you're not it's not insidious. You're you're not trying to get people to, to keep coming back and, and spending money and, and wasting their life away. You're empowering people. You know what I mean? And um we just democratize everything, democratize the workplace. I mean, we don't, it's not 1792 anymore. We don't need to have a, a, a representative democracy. We can just vote on everything. We have te- technology now. You know, it's not, it's not the West Wing. It's not the 1990s. Politics can be different. We can evolve. We can, we can come up with new shit. Yeah, not hear you, man. Um, what I, what I will say is that, uh, and I get a lot of shit for this, but I don't, I don't believe in online organizing. Like I don't believe in, um, using online spaces for the purpose of organizing. I believe that organizing has to be done in person or at least through offline means. And you use the web to boost and promote what it is that you're doing. Let people know where you're going to be. Um, but the actual process of organizing online, I just, uh, I'm sorry, but it's, that's, that's yeah, there's, just, there's no, yeah. Into the incentive structure, interaction, sure, sure. Like, like person-to-person interaction and, and give people like, like more of a sense of community with the people around them. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to get, you're, you're not going to get to the top rank without actually being out there and doing tangible things. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah I got you. I, mean, I understand. They, 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 but yeah, it's, it's work, the... They can work in tandem, like, they work in tandem with technology. I mean, all of us mm-hmm. on social media quite considerably, I would, I would imagine. You know? Yeah, and that's not to refute what you're saying. It's just, like, something to keep in mind in the process oh, yeah, of sure. um, organizing. Yeah. Is that, like, and, and, and it's not just a matter of, like, InfoSec. It's also a matter of... And I, I, I said this... Um, a couple of weeks ago, and I got a lot of shit for it, but I stand by it. And that's that you don't you don't ever actually have a community 
when you are online only. Like if you know people from the internet, but you either haven't had conversations away from the internet, uh, meeting in person is like the best thing to do. But in the absence of that, you know, talking over the phone, Zoom calls, I'm still kind of like on the fence about that. But at least like being able to communicate with one another. Because I think that in any kind of organizing work that means something, there needs to be a there needs to be friction both on the on ramp and the off ramp. Meaning get, getting into community with people should not be easy. It there should be some difficulties involved. There should be some butting of heads. There should be some personal grudges. There should be some differences of opinion, which you work out. And and the process of working these things out, like this whole idea that like, you know, you organize and you work with people you can get along with. I think that's absolute bullshit. I think of it if you're not encountering any frictions along the way, you need to be finding more people to organize with because you haven't learned proper conflict resolution strategies. Because the thing is, once you once you get outside of your um, network of people that agree with the things that you say, at least in principle, you're then going to have to work with a whole lot of people that are going to challenge you that don't agree with things that you say that might be antagonistic towards you. And you have to learn how to talk to them too. So if the, the process of like getting into a community is too easy, it's not a community, but then on the flip side, there also needs to be friction in leaving a community. So if you have like a squabble with somebody on a fucking discord server, uh, the relationship can be severed with a kick command and blocking that person. And that's it. You never have to really talk to them again. I mean, they may like talk to other people that you talk to. They might ask why it was that you decided to cut off contact. But if you don't want to, you never have to respond to that. And that's the other side of communities is that there is an incentive to work things out that when you have differences of, we have differences of opinion, you have things that you're, uh, going through, even if you've hurt one another in some way. Obviously, I'm not talking about in a criminal fashion. I'm talking about hurt each other's feelings. There needs to be a strategy or some sort of like process in place that you can work these things out. Because again, once you start working with people that aren't on the same page as you politically, they are going to try your patience. They are going to piss you off and you can't just abandon them. So I think I think you're absolutely correct. I also think that um, what we can work on in the meantime are means of community building away from online spaces, because frankly, like these online spaces are under the control of people that make a lot of money by keeping us at each other's throats. And it's very easy to go from having a friendly relationship with somebody to having a hostile relationship with somebody oftentimes over complete misunderstandings or, you know, minor differences of opinion. I mean, that narcissism, a small difference is a motherfucker. You could agree with somebody on like 90% of things. And then the one point of difference that you have is what ends your relationship. And so if you don't have some sort of a system or strategy to get around those obstacles that are deliberately put in your way by people that make a lot of money off of the conflict that we encounter on a daily basis, logging into these apps, it doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Well, hey, listen, there's going to be obstacles in the way of, I mean, look, we, we've been trying to take over the Democratic Party now for, uh, I don't know, how long? I mean, Glenn Greenwald is a great example of, uh, of, of what you're talking about. I mean, listen, I don't, I don't agree, you know. I, in a 
annoyed me, his commentary on Elon Musk when he was going through buying Twitter. But I also understand, you know, all the positive things that he's done. I don't know. I mean, the man's like a hero of my eyes. And, uh, you know, if, if I have a disagreement over, over something with him, you know, like, that's, that's okay. You know, of course I'm right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but I don't know. It, it's, it's something I'd be happy to, uh, to, to try and mull over and, and have a conversation over because, uh, yeah. listen, we need, we, we need, uh, we do need to think outside the box. I mean, these, these organizations that are on the ground, like the DSA and stuff, that are top down, that are for one person to person, are also, uh, very easily co-opted as it turns out. <laughs> so, um, no, I think, I think it's, it, you know, we just gotta figure out a way to, to, to mix them together and to, to get people to, to form these communities in person as well as online. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And at the same point in time, what I will say is, uh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. We'll organize Black Lives Matter protests that are one of the largest protests in history all over the country through basically social media primarily. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And I'll say, you know, uh, if you go to my Twitter profile, you'll find means of contacting me. So, I mean, I put the, I put my contact information there for a reason. So feel free to hit me up and I'm happy to discuss. Yeah, man, we're main town on Twitter. So look for me. I'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, man, no worries. Um, yeah, like I guess I, uh, we should start wrapping so up. Here. Yeah, I mean, I did want to, um, uh, the, uh, the video uh, of that uh, BBC presenter. Um, I did want to um, uh, play that one time. And also, like, I I, um, I saw a, a really, I think, interesting Instagram post uh, on the matter of whether uh, Shri Nabuakle, um counts as a martyr. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But first, I'll, I'll, I'll go to uh, your um, BBC presenter, who I think, I mean, I don't know, after seeing it myself, I'm like, that was a... Blink twice if you're in danger kind of thing. All right, hang on one second. Jazeera News Channel has accused Israel of deliberately killing one of its journalists during fighting between Israeli security forces and Palestinian gunmen in the occupied West Bank. Shireen Abu Akhle, one of the most famous journalists in the region, died from a bullet wound to the head while covering an Israeli army raid on a refugee camp. Israel's Prime Minister, Naftali Bennett, denied that journalists were targeted and suggested the fatal shot was likely to have been fired by a Palestinian. <clears throat> the Al Jazeera news channel has accused. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely no, a blink that, twice. Yeah, that was not a. That was not just no, <laughs> no, yeah. no. That was on purpose. Um, there was also a uh, a person that uh, posted on on Instagram, and I thought, you know what, th- that is that was amazing because, um, I don't know if you've. Um, seen uh, Tara uh, post online. She's you know very outspoken. Um, speaks a lot about uh, uh, things like you know how the, the the PLO is operating on behalf of the uh, the Palestinian bourgeoisie. Um, some of the the, the downsides to uh, BDS, i.e., you know boycott, divest, and sanctions is the tactic, but it's not necessarily the entire liberation strategy. 
um, and they don't really make any political statements. So, you know, she, she, um, highlighted somebody's post that was saying that, uh, you know, Shireen Abu Akhle is, is, uh, people are talking about, you know, she's going to heaven or whether she's a martyr. And she's just like, why, why the, why would you ask a question like that right now publicly? Why would you do that? And so, uh, there's this, uh, thread, um, from an Instagram post that went up, uh, the other day by you know, the Palestinian activist, um, that was, uh, translated, um, uh, by uh, um, by somebody who was kind enough to, to do that on Twitter. And it goes something like this. Um, the media spokesperson uh, for the IOF, uh, Chief Arabic Propagandist uh, Avichai Adrai, returned home after a hard day of work. He took off his uniform, grabbed a bottle of whiskey, and began to pour the first glass. He opened Facebook and wrote on the fake page, which he, tal- he, he titled, Palestine is in the heart. Is it allowed to call Shireen Abu Akhle a martyr? Then he drank from his cup and awaited comments. The first comment came from Abu Ali, the Egyptian. Of course it's not allowed. She's a Christian, and this is blasphemy. The second comment came from Abu Hassan, the Bahraini. Of course it's allowed, and you, extremists, do not speak in our name or on behalf of our religion. Abichai smiled and drank his second uh, second cup. Then came another comment from a Lebanese man. She defended Palestine, yeah, but she is not a martyr. Martyrdom is reserved for Muslims only. And then a Jordanian replied to him, You, Abu Tabule, do not have the right to make yourself uh, Allah on earth. And so the comments of those on Avichai's fake page rolled in by the hundreds with those who agreed with the title of martyr insulting those who rejected it, and with those who rejected the title insulting those who agreed with it. Avichai closed his eyes. He smiled and lulled himself into a nap. He knew his work was done. With full peace of mind, Avichai was reassured about the future of his Zionist state. The end. (laughs) um yeah yeah. (laughs) oh god sorry to take us out on such a bleak note but i thought it was uh i thought it was fitting and i think it's also like like you were in the space last night and just hearing some of the people that um think that now is the time to be airing their grievances with arabic people or to talk about how you know arabs are just like latently racist and hate black people um, why should we do anything for Palestinians? Like hearing stuff like that, I'm just like, you know, well, there there are people that are just like bit... sitting back and laughing watching these interactions. Yeah, doesn't it sound a bit like? Um, I mean, uh, you know, you you hear similar things coming from certain other groups saying that black people are doing this and black people are doing that to them, right? So... Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, the Asian hate people. Like, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm, just, I'm just wondering, like, it also reminds me of um, what's uh, pinkwashing or, or uh, homonationalism specifically. Um, the idea that, well, um, we don't, you know, we, we, we prefer Israel and we don't like Palestine because Israel has the, you know, gay pride marches and Palestinians are apparently homophobic. I mean, this is not me, but this is the narrative. Um, and therefore... That justifies apartheid or whatever. Or we can say that about other countries, about Muslims in general, or about specific countries, or about Russia, right? Or about whatever. We can we, this idea that if a certain country or a people or a group or whatever is not directly enthusiastically supporting my like collectivity or whatever it is, then me living in this privileged state of Canada, US, whatever, even though my rights are protected, it's not like I'm in their turf and they're about to, you know, do something bad to me. But then that somehow justifies me supporting my government bombing them or 
you know, letting them die or sanctioning them or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there is this certain ideology, which is, I mean, it's identitarian, you know, it's named different things where, of course, we don't, you know, I mean, I, I, I would never condone homophobia, transphobia. I am queer, right? But I find it really interesting how that is used. And I felt like some of the people who were talking in last night's space, and yeah, I was listening in. I, I kind of was like uh, passing out at one point. So I, I, I don't know how much of it I actually caught. But I did catch like a, at least a couple of people. This one guy who came in, and I think he was Arab, but he had a really anti-Arab stance on a lot of things. And uh, he was like, oh, Arabs are just all this and they're all that. And like, you know, it was, he was conflating Palestinians with like Saudis. And it's like, dude, do you know anything about what's going on in that part of the world? Um, so like, I mean, the Saudis are actually literally making deals with Israel, you know, like the Saudi government. And you're like comparing them because they speak the same language as Palestinian. Like, it's just so weird to me how that is even like talk about reduction, like identity reduction. And um, anyway, but I'm just saying like the idea that like, well, um, I won't stand with black people because, you know, such and such black person did that or so and so things, you know, whatever stereotypes or I or I'm a black person and I won't stand with Palestinians because of this and that or so, this so, thing that happened in history or supposed thing that I heard about or some Palestinian said something, you know, and the idea of or I'm, I'm not going to stand with um, Muslims because they're homophobic or Muslims, uh, you know, say that they won't stand with gay people because they're Islamophobic. I mean, what does all of this serve? My question to that all the time is, what does that have to do with you? And what does specifically? That yeah. Who does that serve? Who does it serve if nobody stands with anybody else? If every community and every little group and every little subgroup within each group just stands alone and we're all islands of one person, who does that serve? I mean, we. how are you going to, by yourself, stand against pan-Europeanism, right? Like, you understand that the European Union um, is an entity that exists because they were able to stop an African union from existing first. Right. Like right. you don't have a European, you don't have a European union without the destruction of the possibility of an African union um, by killing African revolutionaries. Like right. it's, it's just an ipso facto. These are, these are chronological events. So the idea that you're going to defeat capitalism or defeat white supremacy or defeat any of these things without being able to exercise all, I mean, good, good fucking luck. Like, they know how to mobilize and they know how to organize. They've been doing it for decades. They know how to deal with your ass. This is none of none of what we're none of what we're going through right now is new. It's the same strategy. I was talking about this with Glenn earlier. The exact same strategies that have been used to manufacture consent for the war in Vietnam, you know, to to invade uh, Central and South American countries, Caribbean countries, the same playbook that was used for Operation Desert Storm. The same playbook that was used for Afghanistan and Iraq. Same playbook for NATO. Same for the bombing of Yugoslavia. It's the same shit, and people fall for it every single fucking time. And the reason that there isn't a concerted, not only an anti-war, but anti-imperialist counteroffensive to any of that is because we're stuck sitting here, you know, wishing and dreaming about a future where, you know, whatever subgroup of a subgroup of a subgroup is going to fight the revolution and win on its own by fucking tweeting. I don't know. 
anyway. Um, I think it's that's it. Very man. It's. I mean, I know, <laughs> like what you just said earlier. When you go out there, you have to talk to people who are not going to understand you, who are going to look at you as a stereotype, who are going to misgender you, who are going to mispronounce your name, and you have to find a way. You have to be able to teach if this is being done in good faith, if this is being done as a mistake, if this is being done just out of like ignorance or arrogance. Because there's a difference. If somebody is doing something out of ignorance, I try to give them hands. I try to understand them, see where they're coming from. Because they have their own perspective. They have their own like life story. And there might be a place where we can come to an understanding. And that takes time. And it takes sometimes you have to go back and you have to work in community. Sometimes you have to argue. You have to sometimes, you know, stand your ground. And sometimes you have to give a little. But I'm just saying that like you, we cannot expect everybody to be on the same page about everything before we will t- even talk to them. You know, like it, it, that's not how things get done. That's how we all get separated and we live in our fucking little silos, depressed and, you know, popping pills all day. And, 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 you know, that's all we do. And I mean, and tweeting mad popping pills, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, like that's, I, I, it's getting too late, man. The planet's burning up. We're at the verge of another nuclear war. I mean, this is serious yeah. shit. Yeah. We got it. We got it. We got to get together and we got to people who are just there to like wreck shit, you know, who are just there to like, stop that solidarity i don't have time for that i don't have i don't have time for any of this bullshit i'm too old <laughs> i'm too old for this shit man yeah i hear you well we should uh probably wrap things up and uh, go just want to say uh, thanks mm-hmm. to all of our callers thanks to everybody in the audience for showing up um and yeah this is uh our, our normal time is actually um going to be uh well, sorry was it supposed to be nine o'clock in the it evening used karen to be well it used to be 1 p.m tuesdays and thursdays and then I right but going forward went and got a freaking job with <laughs> pleb. and uh you know so anyway for a little while it's a contract job so it won't last long but after that i we maybe do get daytime again but for now yeah we decided to do thursday evenings like 8 30 p.m eastern or not. Okay. We started at nine today. I'm actually okay with keeping it in the evenings because it enables me to get my writing done during the day. To be perfectly honest, um, having like a too. yeah hour hour and a half show in the evening is totally fine by me. Um, shows during the daytime does kind of blow a, a hole in my schedule, so I'm happy to do that. And you know we can work it out, but at eight thirty p.m. Uh, is completely fine by me. So yeah, um, just want to thank you for uh, for coming by. Um, and if you like this show and you'd like to support us as well as other works that we're into, such as the New Frankfurt School podcast, such as our Monday stream, uh, the 10-Minute Takes video essays uh, by Karthik P, and uh, our Substack, which is going to be launching on Tuesday. Um, you can go to patreon.com forward slash theculture.tv, culture with a K, dot TV. And uh, yeah, if, uh, support us for any amount that you are able to do so. Um, and we really appreciate your time and attention. So, Kieran, I'll see you next week. To everyone in the room, have yourselves a great weekend. God bless. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Q. Have a good night.